Okay with that? All right. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. What, what an awesome time of worship, Lord, just to, to gather together and to fellowship, Lord, through worshiping you and through loving one another and praying for one another. And we're so grateful for this time that we have, Lord, to come together corporately. And Father, I pray that you would bless this new series. And Lord, as we walk through it, that we would grow in you. And Father, Lord, that we would live all out for you, sold all out for you, Lord, sold out for you. And, and so I pray, Lord, that this would really encourage us, convict us. So, Father, I decrease that you would increase, say to myself, of myself, so fill me with yourself. That everything that I say and every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name and all God's will said, amen, amen. If you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to 1 John, the epistle, not the gospel, John, the epistle, John, 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 today. We begin our new series, Authentic, say authentic, from 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Before we even dive into the text, I want to do a really quick introduction and background to the book. If you don't get any of these things, because I'm going to go kind of quick here, you can get Get online and, and, and listen to the message and kind of write catch up if you didn't get any of these things that I'm going to talk about in terms of introduction and background. Uh, the author was John. Say John. John, he was James' brother. Uh, they were the sons of Zebedee. Uh, Jesus called them the sons of, of thunder. And John uh, was also known as the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, John was the youngest of the 12 disciples. He was about 17 years old when he followed Jesus. He's also the last living apostle. He wrote five books, and he wrote the Gospel of John, and in his Gospel, he em his emphasis is on salvation, say salvation, on past history. He wrote also the three epistles, that's what we're going to write, that's our series, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote this around A.D. 85 uh, to 90, and he was about, about 90 years old when he wrote these epistles. His emphasis in these three epistles is on sanctification. Say that. Sanctification, our present experience of Jesus in the here and now. He wrote Revelation. And his emphasis is on glorification. Say that. Glorification. It's about our future hope. So I want you to follow me here. In the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh. Christ died for us. In John's epistles, the Word of life, Christ lives in us, in Revelation, the word conquering, Christ comes for us. You with me? Again, in the Gospel of John, the word became flesh, Christ died for us. In John's epistles, the word of life, Christ lives in us. In Revelation, the word conquering, Christ comes for us. Good place to say amen. The key verse is in chapter 5, verse 13, and he, and he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, say, say no, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, what I want to do right now, I want to give you at least six reasons why John wrote this epistle. First of all, to show us the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that as we go throughout this series. The second reason is to see if we are truly saved to see if we are truly saved. John in his gospel tells us how to be saved, but here in his epistles he tells us, listen now, how to be sure that we are saved. You guys with me? 
It's the test of true Christianity. And this is why, friends, I'm calling this series Authentic. Say authentic again. You see, in this series, we will be able to answer the questions, what does a real Christian look like? Questions such as, how can you tell the difference between a real Christian from one who is a professing is professing to be a Christian, or how do I know that I'm saved? Listen, this is a, a challenging, it is, trust me on this, a challenging epistle in that it confronts us. And it confronts us with sloppy Christian living. You with me? And at this time, as John was writing this, at this time, many believers were conforming to the world standards and failing to stand up for Christ and compromising their faith. In fact, John gives three specific tests. He gives a doctrinal test, a doctrinal test. Write that down. In other words, do we believe what the gospel says about Jesus Christ? Do we believe what the apostles have taught about Jesus Christ? There's also the relational test, the relational test. In other words, do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ? So you have the doctrinal test, the relational test, but you also have the, the moral test, say moral test. Are we living in obedience to Christ in accordance to his word? Three specific tests that John gives throughout his epistle. The third reason is this, to see the effect of worldliness. What John does, John points out the source and the cost of worldliness. The fourth reason is to see the importance of sound Doctrine, sound doctrine, say that. Sound doctrine, why? Because it matters what we believe about Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine protects us from heresies. And John, here in the epistle, warns us, warns us against what he calls false prophets, antichrists, liars, and deceivers. And he's specifically talking about the Gnostics, say Gnostics. They, they practice Gnosticism, that's G-N-O-S, T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism, which was a Greek philosophy that infected and affected the early church. Gnostics means knowing ones, knowing ones. And they believed that they had the supreme of intellect and the superiority of mental enlightenment to faith and to conduct. It was a mixture of mysticism and philosophy with a little Christian teaching in it. And they believed in the inerrant evil of matter and everything material, physical, the human body. So to them, if all matter is evil and Jesus had a human body, had a human body, then Jesus could not be God or not have a real human body. They believed that Jesus was a phantom. Therefore, they denied the incarnation. They denied the virgin birth. They denied Jesus' sinless life. They, de they denied his substitutionary death because you have to have a body in order to die, right? They denied his resurrection. And they believed that he was, that Jesus was a, a created being like the angels. That Jesus was an emanation, in other words, a lesser God. Now, we need to, we need to understand this to make sense of the text and the rest of the epistle. Because he's, he's addressing and protecting the church of false teachers, heresies. The fifth reason is to see the importance and, necess and, and, and necessity of love and holiness. To see the importance and necessity 
of love and holiness. John shows us that love and holiness, listen now, are indispensable. They are held in conjunction with each other. The sixth reason is to make our joy complete, and we're going to talk about that today. Can someone say amen? This epistle falls into two divisions. Chapters 1 and 2 emphasize fellowship. Say fellowship. Chapters 3 through 5 emphasize sonship. Fellowship, sonship. There are three main themes in this book. Light versus darkness, love versus hatred, and truth versus error. And what John does, as we go through this series, you'll realize that what John does, John weaves these three concepts in his epistle. Now, what I love about John is that he doesn't sit on the fence. I love that about him. He doesn't sit on the fence. He, he sets opposites in direct contrast to one another, and there's no middle ground in his concept of Christianity. In other words, there's no gray areas with John. It's either black or white. You guys with me? He pulls no punches. In other words, we are either children of, children of God or children of the devil, of the world or not of the world. We have life or we do not have life. This is now we know God or we do not know God. The title of my message today is The Life. Say that. Now, would you agree that we are in the midst of the most difficult time the church has known? Come on, right? Right? And my prayer, friends, and my hope as we go through this series, is that our commitment to Christ, our commitment to Christ would be challenged and our faith in Christ would be strengthened so that we would stand up for Christ with an uncompromising faith. And by the way, these four verses set the stage for the rest of John's epistle. You guys ready? Two points. We're going to focus on four verses today, just four verses today. Point number one is the proclamation. Say that. Write that down. The proclamation, same thing as declaration, the proclamation. And John begins by proclaiming, declaring the person Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because Christianity is not about religion or a system. It's about a person. And that person is who? Jesus Christ. I love what Stephen Cole said. Stephen Cole said, Christianity is not essentially a system of thought. Rather, it is a person, Jesus Christ, who was historically validated, personally experienced, and authoritatively proclaimed by the apostles. Say Jesus Christ is Christianity. Say that. Christ is Christianity. Why? Because listen now, Christianity is believing Christ it's obeying Christ, it's worshiping Christ, it's adoring Christ, it's honoring Christ, it's revering Christ, it's following Christ, it's living for Christ. Amen? Christ is the Christian life. In Philippians 1.21, what did Paul say? For me to live is what? Christ. It's Christ. And here in the text, what John does, and I love it, he begins his epistle, by anchoring himself to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice three things about Jesus, three sub-points. Notice, first of all, his eternality. Write that down. His, Jesus, eternality. Now, you will notice that John doesn't begin with a greeting or even with an introduction like Paul does. And what he does, what John does, he gets right, listen now, right to the point. 
And he immediately speaks of the eternal nature of Christ. Verse 1a, John writes, that which was from the beginning. So John, what he does, he takes us back to the beginning, and the Bible teaches us that Jesus always existed. Right? He's self-existent. He's eternal. He's immortal. And you see, when John says, that which was from the beginning, that word, that's referring to Jesus. Was, say was, is the verb tense means already in existence. So John says, Jesus, which already in existence. Now, John's not talking about the beginning of creation, but that which existed prior to creation. And John is telling us that Jesus never, say never, had a beginning. That he was never created. Can I get an amen for that? In fact, friends, what John wrote in the text sounds similar to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, in the beginning. Also, what he wrote in the gospel, his gospel, John chapter 1, uh, one, uh, uh, chapter one verse 1a, and also verse 2, where he, he writes, in the beginning was the word, capital W, referring to who's the word? Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God. And we'll read the rest of that verse later on. And verse 2 of John chapter 1 says, he was with God in the beginning. So here's the lesson, you ready? Jesus always was. Jesus always was. Before the material universe, before the material world came into existence, Jesus was. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. He didn't come into existence. He already was in existence. He existed before the world began. He always was. And I want to give you an Old Testament passage and some New Testament passages to prove that. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. And by the way, Micah 5, verse 2, this prophecy was 700 years before Jesus was born. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, this is what he says, from you, one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Listen to what it says. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This speaks to the preexistence of Jesus. How about John chapter 17, verse 5, known as the, that chapter, chapter 17 of John is known as the great high priestly prayer. And Jesus says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He, speaking of Jesus, is before all things, and he holds all things together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. From the King James Bible, reads like this. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was, say was, again, verb tense, already in existence, and who is to come, the Almighty. So these speak of Jesus' eternality. And you see, friends, before the message, before the message was proclaimed to the world, the messenger already existed. 
John proclaims, and what he does, he affirms the eternality of Jesus Christ. Say, his eternality. Notice the second thing, his humanity. Write that down. It's the second sub-point under point number one. Say, his humanity. So John already has already assured us of Christ's eternal nature, right? Just made it clear. And so now what he does, he speaks of the proof, he, the proof, excuse me, he has to offer regarding Jesus. And so John was an eyewitness to the life, to the ministry, and to the miracles of Jesus. Verse 1b, stay with me now. Which we, say we. Why does John say we? I'll tell you why. This refers to John and the other apostles. Got it? At this time, John is the last living apostles. The other ones have died. They're gone. John's the last one, but he still says what? We. Why does John say we? I'll tell you why. To establish unity of message. In other words, John's saying even though they're gone, they're dead, we speak, we speak the same message. We are unified with the same message. So which we, unified, right, have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we, where we again, have looked at. By the way, that, that phrase, have looked at, in the Greek is simply that they have studied Jesus. Studied Jesus. And our hands have touched. So these verbs, what these verbs do, they defend the reality of the human nature of Jesus Christ against the Gnostics. The eternal one was made flesh, and there's proof positive to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus was real. John's saying Jesus was real, not a phantom, not a vision. He was real. In fact, write this down, John chapter 1, verse 14. Some of you might know this. John 1, 14, the Word, capital W, is Jesus. The Word became what? Flesh. And made His dwelling, He tabernacled among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John's saying Jesus wrapped Himself in humanity. Took human form. He dwelt, He tabernacled among them. The 4th century theologian Augustine of Hippo said this. He said if, if he had three great wishes, one of those great wishes was that he, could, that he could have seen Jesus when he was in the flesh on this earth. Well, guess what? John didn't have to wish that. John didn't have to wish that because he was what? One of them who was able to have that blessing of seeing Jesus in the flesh in human form. I mean, if you know about John, John walked with Jesus. He, he talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He, he laughed with Jesus. He prayed with Jesus. He, he ministered with Jesus. And he's telling his readers, he's telling us believers, I knew Jesus. He washed my feet. He laid, he said, I laid my head on his chest. He spoke to me. He called me his beloved disciple. I saw Jesus, John saying, I saw him heal the sick. I saw him deliver the demon possessed. I saw him walk on water. I mean, guys, listen, he's saying this. I was there when he fed over 5,000 hungry people. I was there when they crucified him, and I saw, I saw him when he resurrected from the dead. I know who Jesus is. That's what he's saying. I know him. 
and I know what he taught, he's real. And you see, John watched Jesus specifically and carefully over a three-year period. He didn't just have a passing glimpse or casual relationship with Jesus. No, and John's like this. John's like, hey, be confident in what we said in the proclamation of the person of Jesus Christ because we saw him. I saw him, John's saying. I touched him. I gazed upon him. I handled him. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. He had a human body, right? Which was a refute against the Gnostics. Now, we don't have the blessing of touching Jesus physically, the blessing of seeing him and handling him, but, but that's okay. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.8. Write that down. 1 Peter 1.8. And Peter writes this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Listen, even though we don't have a physical nearness to Jesus, we do have a spiritual nearness to him. And therefore, we are able to feel his holy presence. I'm I'm sure we all have felt that, right? I mean, whether it's through worship, remember, you're, you're doing your quiet time, or maybe you're somewhere and you just feel the presence of God. And one day, say one day, we will see him, we will touch him. Amen? His eternality, his humanity, the third sub-point is his deity. Say that. His deity. And look at verse 1. See the rest of verse 1. We're just in one verse right now, right? Yeah? Then John says this. After he said all that, this we proclaim concerning, here's the key thing, the word of life. Say the word of life. The Greek word for word is logos which refers to what is written and spoken by way of revelation from God. So combined, the word of life, Jesus is portrayed here as not only being he who speaks the word, but he actually is God revealed to man, he is the life. He is a genuine expression and thoughts of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God. 100% man. 100% what? God. So let's go back to John 1, 1. Let's go and let's read the the whole verse there. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was, capital W word, that's Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God. And the word Jesus was God. He's God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Get this now. And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification from four sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. John chapter 14, verse 9. John 14, verse 9. I love this. I love this. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have seen, even, excuse me, after I have been among you such a long time. And he says this anyone who has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was born, 
I am. Jesus is God. Say, Jesus is God. And friends, this is what separates, and we've got to get this now, this is what separates Christianity from all other religions. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is God. Listen, and follow me now. The Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was created as Michael the archangel. That Jesus is not God. That Jesus did not rise from the dead in his physical body. The Mormons believe that the first spirit to be born in heaven was Jesus. The devil was born as a spirit after Jesus. Therefore, they believe Jesus and the devil are spiritual brothers. They believe that Jesus was a God, but not God himself. And that his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, was not able to cleanse us from all of our sins, so good works are necessary for salvation. Christian science, which has nothing to do with Christian and science, believe that Jesus is not the Christ, Jesus is not God, Jesus did not die, that there's no devil and there's no sin. Islam, Islam believed that Jesus is a great prophet, second only to Muhammad. Jesus is not the Son of God and is certainly not divine. That he, Jesus, was not crucified for the sins of the world. Buddhists believe that Jesus is not God nor the Son of God, but rather a human being who experienced great suffering and taught about the Dharma to help others find liberation. You see, these are the modern-day equivalents of the Gnostics. They all, all these, deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say this. If you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're right about. Did you get that? You cannot be wrong about Jesus Christ and be right with God. In order to be right with God, you have to be right about Jesus Christ. It's a package deal. Now I'm going to prove it to you. Are you ready? Chapter 2 of 1 John. You can turn it if you want write it down. Chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 23. John writes this. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. It's a package deal. Look at verse 2 now. Let's go to verse 2. The life, say the life, Come on, church, say the life. The life appeared, right? That's who? That's Jesus. That's Jesus, God in the flesh, 100% human, right? His humanity and 100% divine, his deity. The life appeared. And he says, we, there's that, there's right, we again. We have seen and it, we have seen it and testify, say testify to it. And I love this. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, speaking with the Father, speaking of Jesus' eternality, and has appeared to us. So what John is saying is that God took, God himself took the initiative to reveal himself to us in Jesus Christ so that we may have eternal life. He is the life. Jesus is the life. He is the word of life. He is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the eternal life. So are you ready for the lesson? Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Someone say that. 
Share the gospel. Let's go back to the text there. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. They proclaimed the message about Jesus. John and the other apostles proclaimed the message about Jesus. And I want to tell you this. Listen, friends. If, we, if you're safe, say amen. If we have the eternal one living inside of us, then we ought to proclaim him to others. Right? It is to be the gospel. It is to be proclaimed to others, not kept to ourselves. We are to be fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. You guys with me? We are to share the gospel, proclaim it to others. Now get this. The heart of the gospel, the heart of, excuse me, the heart of our message is Jesus Christ. Our testimony is not the gospel. And God bless you, you have a great testimony, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. Now we can share and use our testimony to open the door to get to the gospel, but the gospel is not us. The gospel is Jesus Christ. We proclaim Jesus Christ, not ourselves. It's not about us, guys. It's about him. Amen? So what John does, John proclaims slash declares Jesus' eternality, Jesus' humanity, and his deity. And I want to tell you, this is not, this, this is not incidental. This is fundamental to true Christianity. That's true Christianity. Amen? The proclamation, say that. Number two, point number two is the purpose. The purpose, write that down. And, and you'll see under point number two, the purpose, three dimensions. You guys ready? Here we go. The first one dimension is the horizontal. Write that down. Say that. Write that down. We'll look at verse 3a. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have what? Come on, say it. Fellowship with us. The Greek word for fellowship, we know this right, is what? Koinonia. Say koinonia. It's sharing in common. It's, it's communion. It's to have in common. It, it has to do with participation and partnership. It's a word filled with meaning, intimacy, proximity, love, and joy. And you see what John is saying is that we share a common Savior and because we share a common Savior, we, see, we share a common salvation. And because we share a common salvation, we have a common forgiveness, a common love, a common hope, and a common future. Amen? And John's point is that this is a unique fellowship, which is only for those who share life in Jesus Christ together. You guys ready for the lesson? True koinonia is a relationship, not an activity. True koinonia, true fellowship, is a relationship, not an activity. It's, it's, it's participation. It's partnership and sharing. Now listen, friends, fellowship is not something, listen now, is not something you can do by yourself. Now you can worship by yourself, but you cannot fellowship by yourself. Are you guys with me? Because in order to have fellowship, say fellowship, you have to be with others. Listen, koinonia is more 
than a Christian social activity. It goes deeper than that. And so what I want to do, I want us, I want us to look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts 2, verse 42. Some of you guys might know this. It says, they devoted themselves, speaking of the early church, they devoted themselves, say devoted, committed to that, right? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the early church had it right. They had it right. They understood and practiced true Christian fellowship. Now I want you to notice that, let's go back to that verse there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word there could also be doctrine, say doctrine. So it was centered on the word, right? It was centered on the word. They devoted themselves to the teachings, doctrine. So it was centered on the word, the word of God. This now is the foundation of true fellowship. True, right fellowship depends upon true, right doctrine. So he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Say fellowship. Listen, Christians, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're saved, say amen, are in the Christian life Together, right? Together. Follow me. We, we share something that those who do not know Christ cannot share. And listen, it's important that you and I cultivate Christian fellowship. And this is why it's so important to be in church. This is where you cultivate Christian fellowship. That's why it's so important to build relationships with other believers. Amen? Then he says, to the breaking of bread. And this is referring to communion. And we took communion last week or the week before, right? The bread and the cup. But also this is referring to sitting at a table, eating and fellowshipping while, listen, talking, while talking about Jesus and building and encouraging and exhorting one another to practical godliness of life. There is something powerful when you sit with other believers and you're supping with one another, you're eating, and you're just talking about the Lord. And he says into prayer. In Acts, he said to prayer. Praying with each other and for each other. And listen, friends, whenever the early church met, whether in the temple or whether from, from house to house, prayer was woven into the fabric of church life. I want to say this, koinonia, fellowship, is better than isolation. Did you get that? Christianity is fellowship, not a solo act. If you're saved, say amen. When you disconnect yourself from the body of Christ, you become vulnerable. And Satan, Satan looks for the solitary saint. And there's some believers, some here too, I could say, that just come and go. Never get involved with anybody. It's a solo act. Some don't even come. And Satan looks for the solitary saint. He'll attack you. Say the horizontal. Okay, horizontal fellowship. The next one is the vertical. Write that down, the vertical. Write that down, verse 3, be with me. And our fellowship is with who? The Father, and with who? The Son, who? Jesus Christ. It's because of our common relationship with God 
through Jesus Christ that you and I have fellowship. Right? So what does it mean to have fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son? Well, it means I love what God loves and I love what His Son loves. That's what it means. I do what they tell me to do. I go where they tell me to go. I spend time with them. I value what they value. I include them in my relationships. I include them in my finances. I include them in my education, my goals, my ambitions, my desires, my job, my career, my business, my ministry. I include them in all my decisions. That's what it means when you have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Can I get amen? If you're saved, say, say amen again. When you and I invite other believers to have fellowship with us, we are inviting them to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Huh? That being said, we cannot have true fellowship, true koinonia with one another apart from the Father and apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow me, follow me. We must have vertical, vertical fellowship, right, before we can have horizontal fellowship. And I want you to note that they intersect at the cross. Got it? The horizontal, the vertical, the last sub-point is the internal. Say that. Internal. Look at verse 4 with me. We write this to make our joy complete. Man, I love that. Don't you love that? We write this. All that he's written so far, we write this. Right? Establishing Jesus' eternality, his humanity, his deity, fellowship, right? With the Father, fellowship with one another. And then what? We write this to make our joy what? Complete. And by the way, my, but I let you know that this is the only time the word joy is mentioned in 1 John. And though it's only mentioned here, the presence of joy is saturated throughout his epistle. Say, to make our joy complete. With great enthusiasm, say it. To make our joy complete. In other words, to abound. To abound. There is absolutely no reason for believers to be lacking when it comes to joy. Amen? Now, now get this. Joy isn't something that we manufacture or fabricate. But we, we can't stir it up within ourselves. Got it? Joy is the result, say the result. It is the result, the byproduct of intimacy and close fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's, this is now the inner joy of knowing God and the calm assurance of knowing we belong to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Missionary E. Stanley Jones said this, When I met Jesus, I felt that I had swallowed sunshine. Love that. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, David said this, In thy presence is fullness of joy. Not happiness. He didn't say happiness. He said joy, right? Because happiness, the happiness, and, and we know this, right, is based on happenings. That's where you get the word happiness. It's based on happenings. 
on outer, outer circumstances. Joy, say joy, is based on inner peace. Not on what happens outside of us, but who lives inside of us. Got it? This joy, say this joy, is an inner gladness. It's a deep-seated pleasure, a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. It's full, unspeakable joy. Follow me. It's joy in your heart even though you're in a hospital. It's joy in your heart even when a loved one passes away. It's joy in your heart even though you lose your job. It's joy in your heart even though your spouse walks out on you. It's joy in your heart even when your kids rebel and go astray. It's joy in your heart even though you get sick. It's joy even in a difficult, dark place. Because it's based on who lives inside of us, not what happens outside of us. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. We're almost done here. Joy in Jesus. Come on, say that. Joy. Hey, hey, I want you to get this now, okay? We were saved and meant for joy. Got it? We were saved and meant for joy. Now, I want you to write this down. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. I want you to go home and read verses 1 through 11. Okay? Would you do that? Okay? Because there, if you, if you know the context, and I'm going to give you that just a real quick overview on the context. Jesus was teaching, listen now, teaching John about abiding in him. And Jesus says, you must abide in me. In other words, being connected, say connected, to him as a branch is in a vine. And then Jesus then says in verse 11 of chapter 15, I have told you this. This, say this. In other words, I have told you about abiding in me. I have told you about being connected to me as a branch is in a vine, John. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, connectedness, and that your joy may be complete. Did you get that? And I want to say this. If we've been having problems with depression and the general lack of joy, it's because we've been making our joy to be conditional with our life circumstances and not based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you get that? We are more connected to, listen now, the condition of our life circumstances rather than Jesus. And we wonder why we get depressed. We wonder why we're in a bad mood. We need to get back, listen now, friends, and if that's us, if that's anyone here, we need to get back to the simplicity of our relationship with Jesus. Get back to spending time with Him. Worshiping, praying, seeking Him, staying connected to Him, staying connected to the Word of God. Amen.
Let's all stand.